Hi, Samaki. Speaking. Hey, how are you doing tonight? How you doing? I'm doing well, my man. How's everything going? Everything's going really well, man. I, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. I, I can't tell you uh, how much I appreciate you you taking the time to to speak with me tonight. Thank you so much. Hey, man, my pleasure. To give you a uh, a little bit of background, I, I'm I'm running a uh, obviously this podcast called um, the Forgotten Maverick Podcast, and basically, I'm a lifelong Dallas Mavericks fan, or I wanted to start a project catching up with Mavericks from the past and. You know, luckily I was able to connect with you, so uh, I'm excited to talk to you about about your your life in basketball and and with an emphasis on on your time in Dallas. And obviously, you've had a, uh, a you know a great career and played with some legendary players. So, is it cool with you if, if we uh, just get started? Absolutely, let's do it. All right, great. One of the one of the first things that I that I like to ask former NBA players and specifically former Dallas Mavericks is. How did you get started in the game of basketball? I know you you were growing up in Columbus, Ohio. Um, what attracted you to the sport as a as a youngster? Well, it's interesting. When I first started out, I was actually totally unattracted to the sport. You know, I was a kid who grew up watching my father play in the local old timers leagues and things of that nature, and I couldn't figure out for my life why anybody wanted to run up and down and sweat and argue and <laughs> and those things like that. So. Uh, it grew into me. Uh, by the time I was, I'd say, around 10, 11 years old, uh, the game began to look interesting to me. And I remember the first time my dad put the ball in my hand. And one of the things he said to me, he said, son, this will take you around the world. I remember like yesterday. And uh, interesting is exactly what it did. But um, at that time, uh, I think I caught on to the game very fast. He began to teach me certain aspects of the game. He um, made me learn the game from an organic standpoint, really learning and watching the older guys and learning the mental aspects of the game and, and articulating it back to make sure that I understood it. That's really cool. Um, while you were going going through that process and learning the game, um, who were some of the your favorite players that you uh, admired or tried to pattern your game after? Well, it was interesting because, you know, I, like everybody else, you had the, the Michael Jordan era. I came in at Larry, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and ended at the evolution of Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Magic and Bird were my two of my favorite players, of course, Michael. But by the time I got to high school, right at high school, I started beginning to really understand who I was and beginning to look at players like Danny Manning. Oh, Danny wow. Manning from Kansas, you know, who was a, he was a pretty agile guy. He seemed like he can do it all. He was a high IQ player. And um, I think my father was really trying to get me to understand that the, the NBA was changing at that time and that more mobile guys were coming into the NBA. And then the Shaq era came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Shaq made me want it to be a big man again. Shaq, you know, the, <laughs> when he dunked the ball, you know, this, the, the overpowering thing. And so as a competitor, you, you, you really admire that, being able to have that kind of, uh, you know, edge on someone. So um, he made me fall in love with the game uh, from a, a, a big man's perspective again. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And, um, you know, eventually you end, ended up being one of his teammates. So, you know, that, that's really neat. Um, when you were in high school, did you end up, playing against any future NBA players during during your high school career? 
I did. Uh, I was played in several All-Star games and won the Magic Johnson All-Star Classic, which was featured in Michigan. Uh, Played with uh, Felipe Lopez, uh, Lorenzen Wright, uh, Maurice Taylor. Uh, Played with the top 100 guys in high school, several who went on to play in the NBA. Very cool. Yeah, I haven't heard some of those names in a while, so that's pretty neat. Um, So after your your high school career, I know you moved on to Louisville. Um, Can you shed a little light on on your your, uh, recruiting process that led you going to Louisville? Well, Louisville was 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 the was an ideal place. I was being heavily recruited by you know um, a lot of the schools, and Michigan was high on the list. And I, I noticed that a lot of the players you know were going there. They were talking about forming a Fab Five too. Um, what the, the Louisville sold me on, you had Cliff Frogier, who was um, going into the NBA, and that that spot was becoming available, and it was a no brainer for me. You know, with the group of guys that they had already. Louisville was a competitive school. They got up and down the floor. Uh, Denny Crum is a Hall of Famer and and um, he knew how to coach, you know, guys, athletes. Um, I, who I've seen myself as being a raw player who mm-hmm. needed the fundamental base to understand the game from a fundamental sound point. And Denny was that kind of guy who believed in, you know, using the backboard and things. So he helped me cultivate and shape my game. So for me, it was a um, a no-brainer mm-hmm. uh, with the, been only two and a half hours away from home. It was far enough away from home, but at the same time, close to where I could drive if I wanted to be around family. Absolutely. I, I can I can relate to that. Um, that's, that's cool that you got to kind of go off and do your own thing there, but still be close to your family. Um, what were some of the most some of your, your favorite memories from your time at Louisville? Like, is there anything involving the rivalry with Kentucky or any other particular games that, that really stand out to you during your two years there? Well, absolutely. I think right off the bat, um, my, our rivalry with Kentucky, in which I think Louisville hadn't won the past four seasons. And, you know, anybody who knows basketball, you, know, you have Duke, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Louisville, Kentucky, it's right up there. Yeah. So it was, yeah, that rivalry's right up there. So, man, you know, it was it was um, an opportunity for me to put myself on the map. <clears throat> I remember, you know, this, the energy of the game uh, leading up, building up to it. And, you know, for the first time, you know, I felt, like, really nervous. And and uh, I knew that, um, you know, I was in college, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, but I was able to, you know, showcase my talent. Uh, we, we came out victorious. We beat Kentucky. That game put me on the map and probably solidified me as a true college player. And from then on, I think for me, my confidence went through the roof and I was able to uh, go on and um, become a pretty decent college player. Right. And is that's the game. Is that the game you had, you had a triple double in? Yeah, it was the first triple double in Louisville history, actually. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know that part. That's really that's really impressive. Um, so I know you were at at Louisville for two years. Um, after your second year, what what led you to decide to declare for for the '96 draft instead of uh, continuing your your collegiate career? Well, partly, you know, was the investigation that they were going in at the time, which. Um, <clears throat> They actually concluded at the end of my sophomore year 
that they were going to reopen it, which I didn't understand that part, mm-hmm. um, which I had every intent on possibly coming back, you know, to Louisville, you know, for my junior season. But I must say that that had a lot to do with it because <clears throat> they found nothing in the beginning. They mm-hmm. allowed me to come back and play. And, you know, for some reason they said they wanted they didn't say it was necessarily going to happen, but they said potentially I could start out the next season, you know, not playing. And for me, that was just too much of a, a if not knowing what was going to happen and how that would affect my feet, my future. So I did know that I played well enough, you know, my sophomore season uh, in the playoffs. I competed well against, you know, guys like Marcus Candy, Tim Duncan that year. Mm-hmm. So I was comfortable enough personally to know that um, I was right up there you know, with, you know, elite talent, you know, so um, I feel comfortable with taking my game to the next level. Yeah. And yeah, that, that makes sense. And um, so I know you going in into the 96 draft, what, what were your, your expectations? Did, did you think you were going to go as high as you went at number nine or were you just, you know, hoping to be a first round selection? Well, I was actually, I was, I was actually told I've had a, I uh, got an agent, and I had heard, you know, uh, top, you know, 15. Um, oh, wow. And I had heard, um, believe it or not, Denny told me he had heard that I was going, you know, probably late first round or, you know, which I didn't believe. I just believe <laughs> in myself. I believe I was, I believe I was amongst the elite guys in college basketball. And I believe that my talent proved it. I think there was, uh, it was, I was pretty raw and needed still coaching and things of that nature. But as far as ability and the things that I was able to do, um, my learning curve, I think that I thought I was right there. So I felt really comfortable. It wasn't um, something, a move I made, which that wasn't well thought out. Right. Well, um, and like I said, that, that makes sense too. How, how you ended up making your decision to move forward. Um, so heading into draft night, what, what led to your decision to wear, to wear the suit that you had on that night with the, uh, with the matching fedora? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, that was all coincidence. It was, um, <laughs> I had the suit and believe it or not, the day I actually went and picked up the suit, uh, the hat was literally, there was a hat shop literally next door and this hat was just sticking out <laughs> <laughs> and I think my agent was was, was a dare oh man we you know it ended up turning into something that I, I actually did and believe it or not I had no idea that it was going to be a a big story years later but um <laughs> it was very last minute yeah uh, definitely not choreographed but it was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it, yeah, it definitely was funny and any you know any time draft night fashion or suit history kind of comes up you you always see uh either video clips of you wearing that or pictures of you wearing that so I felt like I, I needed to ask it, you about that. It, so <laughs> thank you for sharing either that. the worst or the best. Yeah, what well, yeah, I seen it on both. Yeah. <laughs> More likely worse, but I've seen it on both. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely pretty <laughs> funny. So 96 draft, obviously one of the most iconic draft classes of all time. You're selected number nine by Dallas. Uh, did you did you work out for, for Dallas prior to the selection? 
Uh, I did. I think I've worked out for like four teams. Dallas was one of those teams. I did very well. I think mm-hmm. what, what happened in the, in the workouts, several teams got a chance to see me handle the ball and do things that I, just, I didn't necessarily do while playing in college. Mm-hmm. You know, I could shoot the ball, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can handle the ball pretty well. And so I think that my stock went up. I think that before my workouts, I was top 15. I think that my workouts solidified, you know, a top 10 draft pick. pick. So a lot of teams raved about the things that they saw that I couldn't, that they didn't know that I could do. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you notice when I got drafted, one of the things they had in quotation at the bottom was just, it said needs time. And then you know, that was because, you know, I uh, didn't play my senior year in high school and two years of college and, you know, everything happened, you know, really fast. Mm-hmm. But you can see that, that the talent was there. I think you showed flashes of that talent, you know, at, at, during your, during your rookie season. Um, and then going to your rookie season, I think at the time when you started, you were the youngest Dallas, Dallas Maverick in history. And then you, you, you were coming to a team with a new coach and Jim Clemens. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is what, what was your rookie season like for you in a, in a new city with a new coach on a team that experienced an incredible amount of um, roster turnover. What, what was that like for you a, as a rookie? That's interesting. You know, you're the first person that really ever asked me that question. Oh, wow. And um, I think that, that um, you know, they've, they've asked, you know, other questions about, you know, playing with the Mavericks. But it, I think that that question right there, for me, is, is interesting because it has such an impact on the rest of my career and how I saw the game, mm-hmm. you know, um, my rookie season, I was involved with one of, well, witnessed one of the biggest trades in NBA history. And at the time when I came in, there was a lot of turmoil, you know, there was things going on that I necessarily wasn't ready for. You had the, the Jason Kidd, Jim Jackson, you know, ordeal thing that was mm-hmm. going on. And so I walked into a very toxic situation. And with that, it was very difficult because I didn't have that big brother in the locker room. It seemed like everybody was split. And then here was this rookie guy trying to find, you know, find my way. And uh, it was very difficult, you know, from an emotional standpoint, because um, everything that was happening and that rookie year, you really need, that's a very important time when you're talking about shaping the mentality of a young player. And so to see that and then see the, 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 Don Nelson come in, you know, take over. Jim Clemens, who drafted me, then you seen again everyone get traded. It was very interesting because I had no idea, you know, what was going to happen at that time. Nelly came in, who was, you know, the ultimate businessman who understood how to build teams, mm-hmm. but had a very, very strong method in doing it and doing it his way didn't really answer to no one. Um, you know, Nelly was a scary figure, you know, for me. Uh, and I didn't really get a chance to know him that well. Um, mm-hmm. A very intimidating figure, especially for someone who was a, a young player who just saw, you know, all the players before him basically get <laughs> traded away. Right. And, yeah, so... And pretty interesting, man. It didn't, it, 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 
Nelly wasn't the kind of guy to really sit down and talk. Plus, I was a young guy. Mm-hmm. Didn't really sit down and talk to me, let me know where the things were going, what direction the team was going in, where I fitted in. So I was under the impression of just a matter of time before I was gone. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was just too young enough to have any real value yet. So I was on eggshells because I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, no one was there to really describe and, and to, in detail and tell me what was going on and where I fit into the equation. And on top of it, you know, he brought in young Dirk, who was a who we know who Dirk is a right. is today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and. Um, I'm, you know, practicing with Dirk and probably thought I was understood that I could potentially be practicing and, and training with my replacement. And so, uh, you know, there was a lot of stress, you mm-hmm. know, early on, you know, that I I didn't understand how to handle being a young player. Uh, so, but you're talking about, you know, the, being in Dallas, though, I had a great time. It was a great experience. Uh, the city, the fans were amazing, you know, in Dallas. And so, mm-hmm. um, but one thing for sure, Nelly wasn't wrong with dirt. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's uh, <laughs> absolutely right. And uh, just to circle back to to your rookie season, as I was kind of doing some research on you, and obviously I knew that you there was a lot of roster turnover during that year, but what I did not know is that by the end of your rookie season, you were the longest tenured Dallas Maverick. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you had been on the roster longer than anybody else on the team by the end of your rookie season. Wow. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I have no idea how to research that for other players, but I, I'm pretty confident in saying that you're probably the only one that's ever that's ever happened to. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was, it was interesting because I didn't know who to call, what the, what the hell was going on as far as the, um, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, you had rumors was going on. You had the Tony Braxton issue. With, mm-hmm. And and at that time I hadn't built a relationship with anyone to the, to the point to where I, I could, you know, ask what was going on. And so, you know, I sit back and watch everything unfold. Um, but, you know, one thing with Nelly, you know, he was um, he was a mastermind. You know, he helped me bring my game along. Uh, he was a big part of my success. Mm-hmm. Um, I He did offer um, me an offer, you know, and I turned it down out of fear primarily because I didn't know what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. at that time, you know, what what he had in store for me. And I had just seen him trade a, literally the whole team away. And so um, it, 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 I had to learn. It took me years later to learn, you know, you know the, the, the role of what he was trying to do and what he was trying to build. And, and he had a goal in mind. And, mm-hmm. and obviously we've seen that he did a fantastic job in rebuilding the Mavericks. And so um, – for me, it was just a young player, lack of communication. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do regret is is that I wish I would have stayed in Dallas. Uh, even the fact that, you know, I won a championship. Um, I love the fact that I won a championship. Got to play with some of the best players going to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Playing with Tim Duncan, David Robinson. <clears throat> Obviously, Shaq and Kobe. 
we got a ring yeah. there. Um, but um, I seen that young, that talent, talented team develop that Maverick team with Michael Finley, you know, uh, Nash, mm-hmm. Dirk, and you know, I seen myself, you know, having a spot on the team like that. It's maybe not offensively, defensively, because of my defensive abilities and things of that nature. So um, I just had no idea where Nelly was because he wasn't the type of guy to really sit down and talk to me. I think he was more so stone-faced, straightforward. And so I never got a chance to really read what he was doing. And that was kind of intimidating for a young player coming in as an athlete. Absolutely. I could see why that would be intimidating. And um, thank, thank you so much for you know your very candid response. I, I really appreciate that. Um, during... During your Mavericks tenure, or their second season, um, Jim Clemens was fired. And I'm just curious, I mean, given the fact that his entire first year was your rookie year and obviously there was a complete roster overhaul and then he got fired 16 games into the second season, do you think he got a fair chance? I know you, you got to reconnect with him when you went to the Lakers, right? Yes, Yeah, I did. Um, I, you know, this is how the business goes. Yeah, you know, but, um, seeing what Nelly was able to do, I mean, it was justified. Mm-hmm. Did, at that time, did I feel that way? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was a young player learning the business, learning how things were going, and so um, I had no idea who Nelly was as a, you know, general manager and and, and his vision and his abilities as a general manager to build teams and things of that nature. So um, I was really learning the, 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 sh- the shady side of the business from day one. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I do think that, you know, Jim, he, he, he sort of got a raw deal. Um, you, you would think that a coach would have a couple years to build up a team and things of that nature, despite, or at least understanding what he came into with, the Jim Jackson and, and, and kid ordeal with cleaning up the locker room and, and then having to trade players and rebuild, you know, that's tough. Yeah. You know, you, you can't, yeah, that's tough. You can't rebuild a team, you know, after that, it takes time. It takes a year or two. And so, um, but did they bring in the right guy? Absolutely. Uh, was Nelly able to come in right away and make um, progress? Yes, he did. And I think he set the tone, built the platform, the foundation uh, for the Mavericks today. Yeah, at, no argument there. I was just kind of curious on your thoughts on it. But yeah, I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, it, it probably was, you know, ended up being a good call. So it, it did work out for the franchise. I know you had your three years in Dallas and you got to see the um, the early days of, of the big three of Finley, Nowitzki, and Nash. Uh, do you have any, uh, like maybe like a, a funny story of something that happened during those early days of, of those three that, that you wouldn't mind sharing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got something funny. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's uh, basically on uh, Shaq and the Fool where I hit the basketball who were we playing? Oh, when you, yeah, yeah uh, the Warriors. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was a jump ball. And so they, the jump ball went their way. They got the tip. I think it was Chris Mills. 
who actually got the ball and dip it into our basket. And it would have been a score. And me being a young guy and uh, no, my reflexes got the best of me. I seen him getting ready to score and I blocked the shot. So it was a straight up bonehead play. Yeah. You can just see Nash and him look at me like, you know, yo, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> no, that's funny. yeah actually i i it's funny i watched that clip earlier today and i was going to ask you about it and then it just slipped my mind so i'm so glad that you brought that up so thank you yeah so that's really funny um so i know after, after your time in dallas you moved on to san antonio and you got to play with david robinson and tim duncan just a year after they won the title even though Duncan was still very young at that point in his career, what was it like playing with um, a player like him? I know you said you got to uh, square up against him in college, but what, what was it like practicing against Tim Duncan every day? Well, Tim Duncan was before his time. He was a mature player. Mm-hmm. You know, he was big. He was, he was always fundamentally sound. And so um, getting a chance to not only go up against him in practice, but watch him, his attention to detail, what makes him great, um, you know, it was in David Robinson getting a chance to play with a guy against him in practice and with a uh, coach like Popovich. Man, let me tell you, it was um, it really helped shape and mold me into you know a a, a much more mature player, understanding how the league is supposed to work. <clears throat> uh, there was a lot of repair for me because coming from the situation from Dallas, um, you know. I had my confidence was shook uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, Nelly, Nelly handled things from a business perspective. And so when you do that, sometimes you sometimes it involves, you know, um, <clears throat> the business side of things are ugly sometimes. So for me coming out of that, my confidence was shook. And so playing with a guy like Tim Duncan and David Robinson, who just worked, worked, didn't talk much, but you can just see it got a chance playing a guy like Avery Johnson and the San Antonio Spurs and what they represented, you know, and uh, coming from, you know, to the ultimate professionals taught me a lot. You know, it, it, it really groomed me for, to become, you know, a championship player, you know, mm-hmm. a, a role player, a guy who was willing to sacrifice in the beginning. I wanted to be a scorer. I wanted to, to the glitz and glamour of what the NBA had to offer, but, Watching guys like Sean Elliott, you know, it was, excuse me. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Watching guys like Sean Elliott, you know, coming in every day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at that time he was going through what he was going through with his situation. And so I just got to see a different side of the league. And these guys were more personal. They did a lot of team stuff together. You know, it felt like family. So mm-hmm. it reshaped what I thought about the NBA. So it was just more than playing with a great team. For me, it was just, it was a it was a a great environment. That's really cool, and I could see how that would that would benefit you. You know, going from such a uh, you know just a I guess you could call it a turbulent three years in Dallas, where just there wasn't much stability, even though things were kind of you could kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel there, but then you move on to, you know, like the model franchise of the NBA or one of the model franchises and you got to learn some things that, that helped benefit you in your career. So I I think that's really cool. And then after, after your two years in, in San Antonio, you got to move on to the Lakers and your first year there is when you won a championship. And there was one thing I wanted to ask you about 
and it was game four of that that Sacramento series. And I think it was at halftime when you hit a long three-pointer at the buzzer. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. And then the replay showed it was like actually still technically just barely still in your hands. And, you know, if the replay rules had been in effect now, that shot probably wouldn't have counted. And, um, you know, th- that's the Robert Ory game. And he made a legendary three-pointer in the uh, – the Lakers won by one point, but I think it was your shot that led the NBA to install that that light, those lights around the the backboard to help determine whether a ball was released on time. So um, I thought that was pretty cool that that you were involved in a play that that led to a rule change. Right, I, I do too as well, and I think that um, they probably were entertaining, you know, the thought of it. You know, at some point in time, I think these organizations are always trying to figure out how they can better, you know, use technology to take the sport to another level. Mm-hmm. But that, I think that that shot was timely. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <it> was <laughs> in more ways than one. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean, who would imagine that that shot and Robert Ory's shot would be in the same game? Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like it's supposed to happen. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, we were 25 points down basically yeah. going into halftime. And I know that, the, you know, people talk about that game. You have a lot of Kings fans who are <laughs> very disappointed. But we were 25 points down. There's no way they're supposed to lose that game. And um, But it's interesting how it all came about. Mm-hmm. And um, to go on and continue to win, man, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing. And I think Baron Davis also did something that year that was similar, that was controversial. There was another shot that year. I'm sure it was Baron Davis. I have to I, research I, that. I but. think I I think I know what shot you're talking about against the Magic, and and he he banked in a three that he very clearly got off, and and they waved it off and said it didn't count. I think that's the one. Absolutely, you yeah. got it. Yeah, that's it. So with that, you know, it was it was it was time. I think we had the yeah. platform to usher in the new technology. Yeah, very cool. Was was that Sacramento series? Was that the most fun you had in the NBA playoffs during your career? Wow, it it was. It was probably the most gut wrenching, yeah, scariest moment, <laughs> and all of the above. I mean, it's the epitome of what being an athlete is about, man. You know, it's it's the ultimate challenge, what you dreamed about. Um. Uh, but you're never really, really prepared. I mean, you know, that NBA logos on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's tuning in, you know, you got the likes of guys, Chris Webber, guys of who, you know, I admired in college coming out of the big five, even though I was only a few years behind. Um, I'm playing with Shaq, Kobe. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't get any bigger than that. And so um, it, this is the stage that you dream about. And, you know, for me, uh, it, it was it was a pleasure to uh, just grace the floor with some of those names and guys who who are you know first ballot Hall of Famers. Absolutely, yeah, that's definitely quite an experience. And there's one other Lakers question I wanted to ask you, and it was, took place the following year, so December of 2002. There's a game in LA against the Mavs, and the Mavs came out on fire, and it was Dirk and Finley and Van Exel just draining threes and they built a 30 point lead. And then the Lakers went on this legendary comeback. Kobe went crazy, um, made I think eight of eight shots in the fourth quarter and the Lakers ended up winning by yeah. two. 
that was a gut wrenching game for me because uh, you know like the Lakers had had the Mavs number for years, and I'm like, it's finally going to happen. It's finally going to happen. We're going to beat the Lakers in LA. It's going to be great. It's going to be so awesome. And then it didn't happen. Um, I, I was looking at the box score of that game. I saw you got to play. But one thing I wanted to ask you is when the Mavs had built that lead, do you remember, like, what, what was the locker room vibe like at halftime? Well, you know, this, it was, what was interesting about this team was that they had the, the mentality, and I had never saw anything like it because San Antonio was one of those teams where it was straight discipline. Mm-hmm. The Lakers had this laissez-faire attitude to where, well, we can turn it on when we get ready. And rightfully so. You know, they had won two championships prior to me coming there, so I can understand how they built that. And and, and Phil was a laid-back guy. And so one of the things that with this team, they can go 20 down, and whenever Shaq felt like it or Kobe felt like, okay, they really wanted that game, they knew how, they knew how to go about doing that and to motivate the others to bring us along with them. and. You know, there were several games in which Shaq was just saying, hey, all right, forget it. We were down against teams. Always would be down like teams like Denver. Mm-hmm. You know, usually be the bad teams where, you know, we just weren't that motivated to play. But um, all it took was for Kobe and one of those guys to get that, that, that it. And then we knew what time it was, man. And that's another thing. You know, just being a role player on great teams, you get a chance to see greatness. You know, how one quarter guy can just turn it on and just change the whole direction mm-hmm. of the game. But that's that's that was that was Kobe and Shaq in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, looking back now, I can only laugh at that game, but at, at the time I was kinda like, What the hell just happened? So <laughs> um Bro. Yeah, it was fire. Uh, caught yeah. fire. Yeah, definitely. And then, so I know after after your your Lakers stint, you your NBA career started winding down, and and you you spent some time with the Heat, the Wizards, and in Indiana. But then you got to go and play internationally for several years. Um, what what did you enjoy about about playing overseas? Man, that's when I really understood basketball as a platform. You know, those words that my dad had mentioned to me. You know, early on, you know, as a kid, you mm-hmm. know, it, it all began to, to come together. You know, I had a unique opportunity, man, just to play in, in some great countries, Russia, China, Korea, Lebanon, Syria, of all places, man. And uh, so I got a chance to really um, learn a lot about myself. And, you know, it's like when you travel, man, and abroad, you get a chance to uh, get outside of your comfort zone and and uh, see things about yourself, learn things about other people and cultures. And so I'm very fortunate to have been able to spend some time and use basketball as a, a platform to be able to do so. I've had fun. I've had no really bad experiences in any countries that I've been in. And <clears throat> unfortunately, Syria, you know, which is going through a, a civil war, um, you know, as of recently. Um, right. I retired. What's the last place I played? I retired after leaving there. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, after witnessing, you know, things that were going on. So, uh, but Hey, I had a great career. I enjoyed it. Uh, basketball has taught me a lot. It's given me a lot. Um, I'm still connected with the game as, 
doing, I started my own player development business about five years ago. Cool. Where I'm staying connected with kids. I uh, get a chance to train kids. I love teaching. Um, so, um, you know, basketball still continuing to be a platform. Yeah, that's very cool. And I think I saw something on YouTube about your, your, uh, you know, training and developing players and, in, uh, in, in LA, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, man, it's just, it's the bad, the business of basketball has grown so much mm-hmm. and, uh, took a few years off when to try to decide what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and, and just watching the game of basketball develop, man. And, and NBA has done an incredible job of globalizing and, and it's at a trickle down effect. And so now basketball is being played more than ever. Um, one of the things I've been passionate about is the fundamental side of things. Just having my time playing with guys like Don Nelson, mm-hmm. Popovich, um, um, playing with um, Phil Jackson. These guys were all fundamental coaches, man, believe it or not. That's one thing that they all had. They're big on fundamentals. And so for me, Denny Crum, so that's, that represents the, 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 the selective coaches I've had a chance to play with and who shaped my mentality as a basketball player. So, you know, just as a player development coach, I'm traveling abroad. Oh, I've cool. got a chance to see um, the rest of the world catch up. And so for me, I'm passionate about making sure that the American style of basketball stays number one because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're, they're practicing, they're, they're coming. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're practicing basketball more than ever around the globe. And as you see, foreign players are catching up. Um, sometimes they come over more skilled than um, some of our, you know, players here. And so <clears throat> for me, I think Kobe has mentioned it, that we need to really continue to bring back the fundamental essence of the game. And so it's good to see that, you know, um, like the G League and certain you know, attempts to do certain things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think that's really cool that you're, you know, have a, a very active role in, in that, in that field and um, contributing to the game. Uh, so I think I just have two more questions for you. One yeah. of them is, is there anything, you know, obviously NBA players, you guys make a lot of money playing the game that, that you love. Is there anything that you bought that you regret um, you know what? I really wasn't, I was into cars, but mm-hmm. never really, um, I think the crazy thing I bought was some spinning rims. Oh, okay. You know, on my car, you know, yeah. it was, you know, when I was a kid, that era, they came in and, yeah. you know, I was into the little spinning rims. I went through that little phase. Uh, but other than that, you know, it was pretty, pretty modest. Yeah, um, you know, I kept two cars. I didn't have a whole six car garage and okay. things of that nature. And so, no, never. I've come from a very, um, you know, a family youngest of seven. So we were always taught to be conservative. Yeah, things of that nature. And that carried over, you know, with me. And so, you know, to this day, I shopped in thrift stores and still do, <laughs> still do. So yeah, no, yeah, that- you won't get any big purchases <laughs> like that from me. <laughs> no, that's that's cool, and that, that that's nice to hear too. Um, now the uh, the last question I have is a is a Mavericks question. So going back to your rookie year, and this is a, a roster question, and, and I know you had a lot of teammates your rookie year. 
You all right, including you. There were 26 guys that played a regular season game for the Mavericks in your rookie year. I wanted to see how many of them you could name. My rookie year. Yeah. Oh wow. There's let a lot. <laughs> obviously, you got. There's, let me see. You got obviously J. Kid. You got Jim Jackson. You got Mash. Yep. George McLeod. Tony Dumas. Let me see. To twenty six. Yeah. Was Eric Montross my rookie year? Is that yes. my second yep. year? Yep. No, he was there. Eric Montross. Okay. Wow, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I know there's a lot. My <laughs> rookie's year got traded. Let me see now. Was Sam Cassell the second year? No, he, year? You, second. You, he, he was there. You got, Sa- you got Sam. Sam Cassell. Okay. Um, obviously, Eric Strickland. Yeah, I, I've actually I talked to him a couple months ago. I, I really enjoyed my conversation with with Eric. He's a good guy. He's strict. He's a great guy, man. Yeah. Good dude. Mm-hmm. And let's see, uh, obviously, let me see. Michael and him came in my second year, right? Steve no, Nash, no, no. Guy. He 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 came oh, there that year. That's why he did. He came from Phoenix. Yep. That's year. Michael Finley. Yeah. And uh, was Steve. Steve in that part of that year? Steve. Steve uh, Nash. Oh, no, no. He he came he a couple years year. later. He came a couple years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But Mike Finley came early. That's yep. right. Um, let's see. Oh, man. There was, a, there was a different Steve, which is why I thought maybe you were asking about him, but you didn't mention him. So. Steve. Wait a minute. Wow. Steve. Uh, let me see. What, Chris Gatlin. Yep, Gatling, he was an all-star that year. Yeah, Chris Gatlin. Um, let me see. Let me go. Oh, of course. Um, Derek, Derek Harper. Yep. Let's go D-Harp. Um, let me see. Was that Seth Sabalos? No, he was not there that year. He sec- no, he was okay. Um, Eric... Was he? What was the other big guy? Was it Eric? Is it Eric Montross? There's another big guy, seven footed. Oh my goodness! Let's <laughs> see. Wow! I said Tony Dumas. Um, uh, Clear Reeves. No, that was my second. No, player. you got Khalid's. You got uh, Khalid. Was okay. There. Yeah, there you go. Clear was there. There we go. Khalid. Um. Oh man, let's see. Dennis Scott. Came, no, he was the next. He year. came. No, he came. Yeah, he was okay. Yeah, D. Scott came next year. Uh, yeah, that's right. Wow, that's. There's a lot. It was a long team. time ago, so I, I was curious how many you could name. <laughs> see, Popeye Jones got traded. That's right. Oh wow, I was. Yeah, that's. Wow, it was just a lot. Yeah. All right. So I I can name the rest. You got uh, Sean Bradley, um, oh, <laughs> Sasha Danilovich, um, Greg Drayling, AC Green, Big Greg, um, Stacy King was briefly there. Lauren Meyer, yep. Oliver Miller, Lauren Meyer, 
uh, Martin Mersep. I think that's who you were thinking of when you were at, when uh, when you mentioned another seven footer, Martin Mersep. Yeah. Um, Ed O'Bannon, Robert Pack, Fred Roberts, Jason Sasser. And this is, there's one guy I'd never heard of, but I I looked him up and he did, his name was Steven Smith. And he played a couple games there, but he was Steven Smith. Steven Smith. Okay. Oh, headache. Yeah. (laughs) He was the headache. Yeah. Steven Smith. Steven was with us for a minute. And then uh, Jamie Watson. Jamie Watson. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wow. <laughs> so I thought that might uh, be a fun quiz for you. And I mean, that was like uh, 21 years ago, so a long time ago. But uh, some, I thought that'd be a little fun. Martin Muir said, yeah, I brought back some memories. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of players in the change at that time. It was interesting, man. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, I was <laughs> – <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Samaki. I uh, I really appreciate talking to you and you sharing some memories with me about your time in Dallas and your career. It was um, it was fun connecting with you. I'll email you a link once I have this ready to to post online. And thanks again, and and have have a great night. I really appreciate it. Sounds good. Anytime. It's a pleasure speaking with you. All right, great. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye. Forgotten Marathon. <laughs>